right as it comes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Before you see it, I just want to go ahead and read a scripture, and I'm going to um, just talk a little bit tonight about my life, but I, I want to read a scripture. Um, Luke chapter 13. I'm going to start reading at verse 6. Luke chapter 13 and verse 6. And the word says, He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser, of his vineyard, behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we love you. We appreciate you. We thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for what you're doing in this building. Thank you for what you're doing in the hearts and lives, dear God, of the people here, dear God. And we just ask, dear God, that you'd continue that which you've begun tonight, dear God. Help us, dear God, to be your children, dear God. To be obedient to your word, dear God. We love you and we appreciate you. In Jesus' name, And you can be seated. Mr. Sampson asked me to give my testimony. And that, that's what I was planning on doing anyway. Um, wasn't going to do it this morning. Never planned on that. And that's because y'all sitting right there on the front. Didn't want you to miss Sunday school because that was very important. Sunday school was very important. So I, I told um, Brother Sampson, I still remember my very first Sunday school teacher. Sunday school teachers, you're very, very important. And I know you're not, but just in case, don't ever take what you're doing lightly. Pray about it. Seek God about it. God wants to touch children. He does. The book of Psalms 119 verse 67 says, before I was afflicted. I need to use some scriptures. It kind of keeps me, it's an outline for me. So I can tell you my story. It's, it's an outline. Now I guess first I should get your attention. They say you need an attention grabber. You ready for one? I spent 28 years, 7 months, and 5 days in prison. I once heard that people learn good when they make mistakes. I'm going to tell you something. If you want to be wise tonight, learn from the mistake I made. 
You don't have to make it. So I'm here to tell you about it. You don't have to make a mistake. Just listen to somebody who did and say, man, I don't want to do what he did. Boy, you think, man, this guy spent all that time in prison, must have had a bad home. Nope. Best parents in the world. My dad's here with me. Raised me up right. Taught me right from wrong. Parents, I got to say this now. This ain't, I had notes for my testimony, all right, because I wanted to say some things that was important. But I didn't have this in my notes, what I'm going to say. I was sitting in a prison visiting room. Parents, you listening to me. And I told my dad, I said, Dad, you know, I sure wish you would have whooped me a lot more. Parents, don't ever let your kids tell you that. It took me a long time to realize, you know, my parents wanted the best for me. And I know kids, we, um, I don't know if that's, is that politically correct statement? Whoop, I, I don't know, but <laughs> I'm not trying to be politically correct either. <laughs> you know, if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. And I'm going to tell you something. I was a kid, you can ask, my dad's here, you can ask him after service. I didn't listen. I didn't listen at all. Spankings don't last long, you know, a week maybe, hour, might need another one. <laughs> anyway, that wasn't in my notes, so I just want to tell you that. But no, I was, um, I didn't bring any pictures or anything like that. I guess I could have. I, I, I went to a um, public high school. Um, name of my school was Fort Necessity High School. My senior year, I was voted Mr. Fort Necessity High School. Popular kid. Done the right things. I um, graduated with honors. Had scholarship to attend LSU. And I did attend LSU. Man, I majored in probably what most college kids major in. One party to the next. That's what I majored in, and that's what I did. Wasn't a, wasn't a good thing to do. Had, had friends, you know, at that time that was doing those exact same things. And, um, you know, as a young kid, you're thinking, that's the life. That, that's, that's what you want to do. You want to just be a part of the world and go with the flow and have all this fun. Them some good friends, ain't they? Didn't see many of them for 28 years, seven months, and five days. Didn't see many of them, friends. In fact, I could count them on my hand. I ain't got no hand up. That's right. Them friends don't stick with you. If you want to know what kind of friends you need, Exodus chapter 17. I, I, I got to preach just a little. <laughs> You want to know what kind of friends you need? <clears throat> Exodus chapter 17, the Bible says that Amalek came to fight against the children of Israel. Moses told Joshua, I'm just going to paraphrase, get your army together and go fight. Moses, he went and stood up on a hill. He lifted his hands up. He got tired just, and his hands came down. 
Guess what his friends did? They lifted him back up. They lifted his hands back up. That's the kind of friends you need. The kind that'll lift you up. That wasn't in my notes either. But anyway, just wanted to share that with you. I went astray. It says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. That's Psalms 119, verse 67. Well, you're thinking, well, what you mean you went astray? Okay. As a, I'll back up just a little bit. As a, as a little kid, my grandmother, um, Brother Jack Jones's wife, founder of the Jigger Church, she would come by and get me and take me to Sunday school. And I guess you'd say I had a drug problem early. She dragged me to church. But Sunday school was very important, and I, and I would go. And until um, I got old enough to make my own decision, I didn't have to go. But anyway, she would, she would take me a lot. So I went to college that first year. Wasn't living right. Wasn't trying to be right. Wasn't really thinking about doing right. In fact, I mean, I wasn't a... I wouldn't call myself a drug user at that time. I did. I told you I went to parties from time to time, so I did drink. I, um, I was home for the summer. My grandmother, she calls me and she says, Toby, I need, if you don't mind, would you please drive me to Isla, Louisiana? Because they have youth camp. And a lot of her little grandkids were doing, you know, things at the youth camp. And she wanted to go see them. And to be honest with you, I told her, okay, I'll take you. You know, just a driver, wasn't no big deal. Drive your grandmother to the church, a big, big auditorium. And I did. I drove her over there, and I sat all the way in the back. Really didn't want to be a part of the service at all. I was wee back then. And, you know, to be honest with you, the reason I went was it was just kids, Okay. It wasn't going to be no big deal. I didn't have to hear no preaching or nothing. You know, I just watched these little kids. I mean, let me tell you something, kids. These little six-year-old kids got up there, and they started singing this song about walking on streets of gold. Like Sister Sam said, and they started walking. And they said they was going to praise and shout, and they started praising and shouting. And something happened in that service. Now, I didn't know what it was. But let me tell you what happened in that service. The power of God fell. And you know, it was a Pentecostal service. So people started coming to the altar while these five and six-year-old kids were singing. The Holy Ghost fell in that place. So suffer the little children. Please suffer the little children. Let them do what they do. Anyway, I'm sitting all the way in the back. I'm sitting all the way in the back. Crying, big crocodile tears. Brother hits daughters right in front of me, Candy. She turns around, she says, Toby, do you want to go up there and go up front? I sure don't. Not at all. I do not want to go up there. All right, no biggie. I just sat back there, still crying, and and this is my testimony. Next thing I know, I'm kind of like halfway up there. Don't really remember getting out of my seat. To this day, I don't. But I walked about halfway up there, and I went to that altar. And by the time I got to the altar, I was, I was crying and repenting. Because, you know, I, I knew what was right. Only church, kind of church I ever went to was a Pentecostal church. I knew what was right. I knew what I needed. 
And I came to that altar and I prayed through the Holy Ghost. I spoke in tongues for about an hour. I wasn't the only one. There was all kinds of people praying through that night because some little kids. thought you said you spent 28 years in prison. Where's that part at? It's, it's in my, I ain't got to it yet. How does that happen? Kids, young people, I am so glad that we have the experience of receiving the Holy Ghost. Amen. I'm so glad of that. But if that's all you ever get, you ain't going to make it. If all you ever get is that experience, that's it. And you try to live on that tomorrow and the next day, it don't work. It don't. I never really had a prayer life, and here's why I didn't have a prayer life. I want to share that with you kids, because, you know, I tried to pray, but I didn't know how to pray. So I, I would hear people in church talk about how they was praying for an hour, 30 minutes. Man, I'd do good to pray for 10 minutes. Don't belittle your 10 minutes. And don't, don't let the devil tell you it's not important. Because if I had just kept on praying my 10 minutes every day, before long, I'd been praying 15. I'd been praying 20. I'd been praying 30. But the devil wants to belittle the little bit you do. He wants to make it seem like it's not important. And he'll beat you and beat you over the head with it. Preacher said this morning, Thy word have I magnified above thy name. You got to get this in you. I know, man, this world today, there's so much distractions. There's so many things that take your time. But you know, I'm going to tell you, I know y'all kids have one of these things. I got like three Bibles on there. See, I know y'all like using them. I'll put y'all's Bible on there when you got a few minutes during the day. Read you something. Get something in you. Memorize a verse at least a day. Do something. Get the word in you. You got to get the word in you. I mean, don't be wrong. I, I'm not, don't, don't take me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't come and shout and dance and all that. We need all that too. But all I'm telling you is, I did that. I did it for two and a half months. Went to church, and I was so excited. But that, that was it. That's all I had. And coming here is great. Coming to church and worshiping is wonderful. But young people, you've got to have more. I promise you, Brother Sampson, Sister Sampson, and some of the, a lot of these older folks you see around you, they do much more than just come to church. It's called living for God. Living for God. This is just a little celebration of our life. That's all this is. We live when we leave here. Anyway, I made it about two and a, two and a half months. That was June. So June, July, and the first couple weeks in August. And well, what did I do? I went back to school. 
Another thing, young people, I didn't change my friend. Mainly friends of the opposite sex. You're going to get in church. You're going to live for God. You're going to have to leave some people alone. Because I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, as a, as a young boy, I mean, and, and as y'all, as young kids, we're not, <clears throat> I say we, you know, at that age in our life, we're just not strong enough, don't have the intestinal fortitude. It's so easy for us to be drawn away and to do what everybody else is doing. And you know when you want to do what everybody else is doing? When you're with everybody else. But man, how wonderful is it? Let me look at you. To have a bunch of friends in church, hang out with friends in church, talk to friends in church, text friends in church. If, you, if you'll do that, guess what? 20 years from now, 30 years from now, you'll still have friends in church. You'll still be going to church. You'll still be doing the things you need to do. You know, um, but you know, we, we do need to reach lost people. I'm not saying we shouldn't. I'm not saying we can't witness. I, I promise you, if when you see people who are not in church that are your age, and if you want to tell them something exciting, if you want to tell them about what's going on in your life, tell them about what God's doing for you, you're not going to have to worry about getting new friends because. Either they're going to like it and want to come be a part of your life, or they really don't want to hear it. Kind of separates things there. It does. And I, listen, young kids, I'm, I keep... You don't realize how special you are. You don't. I mean, you, you have something that those other kids just wish they had. That They're looking... And seeking for what you already got. That, that's why they try different drugs. And that's why they drink different things. And that's why they go to different parties. Because they're looking for something that they don't have. They just don't know what it is. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> well, I'm going to get on with the story. But I, I, I go back to school. And, you know, the Bible says... You know, when our enemy, when Satan finds a clean vessel, that he comes back with seven more evil spirits. Tell you something. If you've never backslid, if you've always been in church, and this is what you know, listen to me. I backslid and I fell away. And you know what? All of a sudden, drinking wasn't enough. I had to start doing drugs. Smoked marijuana. Took pills. I, I, I don't understand now, you look back on your life, why, what, what you would think was so exciting about taking a bunch of pills that you black out for five or six hours and say, ooh, that was a good time. Have no idea what you did. Wow. Now I look back, that, that was it. You know why you want to do it? Because that's what your friends are doing. That's what they're doing, and they're saying it's fun. That's what you want to do. 
But God, even in my ignorance, you know, God was still with me. I believe that. I do. Because there were some pretty powerful drugs at that time when I was a young kid. One was called crack cocaine. And they used to say, man, if you smoke crack, you'll never be able to get off of it. I smoked it one time. Never picked it up again. Didn't like it. Today, I look back on that. You know, you look back on your life and you think, man, God was with me in so many places. I can think of so many places he was with me. I believe right there when I did that for the first time, I believe God said, no, you're not going this far. He'll watch over you even when you're in your ignorance. Now, don't go do it to test him. That ain't what I'm saying. Don't Don't go do it to test him. So from August to January, I really, to be honest with you, I don't know how many sober days I had there. I don't. I mean, it was like a just, you know, I I was in church, got the Holy Ghost, and it was so great. And then I left church and went to school, and I started trying other things, and probably because I wanted to try to feel how good I used to feel, and, and nobody can make you feel like Jesus. No, nobody can make you feel like me up here jumping and shouting, and you, that euphoria and that excitement you feel. Nobody can do that but Jesus. And it just gets better every time. It just gets better every time. January, me and a couple guys were doing a drug transaction. I guess that's the best way to say it. And just to cut right to the point, I killed a man. That's why I spent all that time in prison. I killed a man. That'll sober you up, right? Took me, took me a long time to forgive myself for that. But anyway, I um, obviously got arrested. <clears throat> got put in jail. And you would think, you know, you're in jail for first-degree murder. You would think that um, that'd be enough to wake you up. That'd be enough to shake you to your core. And you need to seek God again. It had kind of, at the beginning, it had an opposite effect on me. Because I'd experienced the Holy Ghost, because I'd experienced, notice what I said, experienced God's love. I'd experienced things with God. I really did not know or believe or understand that I could really be forgiven for what I did. And in, in my own self, I'm thinking, this is, this is what I was telling myself. Toby, you know, because of what you've done, I, you know, I, I don't like judging people, but, you know, if I can say this, if I was the one that had died that night, I'd have went straight to hell. I can say that with all, I can judge myself. So I'm thinking to myself, With all likelihood, you're responsible for a man never finding God's mercy, never finding God's love. So, you know, how how can I find forgiveness? 
How, how can I find, you know, it's just not going to happen. In, in my logic, I'm like, you know, I was not mad at God. I was not upset with God, wasn't angry with him. I had just accepted it. Well, I'm going to go back to my grandma. On um, Thursday nights in that little parish jail, some, some men came from a local apostolic church, and they would do Bible studies. In fact, they did search for truth. Remember the little... Well, my grandmother, she asked me to go to that. And I learned real quick, when I didn't go, she knew. The Pentecostal folks stick together. <clears throat> and, and, and no matter, you know, what you may become in life, there's some people you never want to hurt. And there's some people you think, you know, I've, I've hurt these people enough. So if I can just go to that service on Thursday nights and it'll make my grandmother happy, I can do that. So that's what I did. I would go and I would sit there, on the, most of time on the first or second row. And I would listen to those men explain. And I'll be honest with you. It wasn't really exciting church. It was just Bible study. I don't, I don't know. I probably did that for a couple months. And one night, something amazing happened in that Bible study to Toby. I'm sitting there listening. I, I don't even remember what part of Search for Truth they were talking about. I have no idea. But what I do remember is I started feeling Something right here in my heart, just like I'd felt in all of Louisiana, sitting wee back there on the back. And I just started crying puppy dog tears. I said, God, you still love me? God, I still got a chance. I still got a chance after what I did, after how I frustrated your grace, after I took your grace in vain, I still got a chance. See, I, I didn't understand God's love at all. God loves you. He loves you. Look, from my own experience, there isn't anything you can do. In fact, Romans 8 and 28, Paul said, I am persuaded. See, I, the problem was I had never been persuaded. But that night, in that little Bible study, I got persuaded. I realized that he still loved me. I realized that even what I did couldn't separate God's love from me. It was a life-changing moment. I mean, let me tell you how life-changing it was. You know, I'm obviously out of prison now. <clears throat> I was in service one day, and a guy said, Man, you know, you, I, I just thought, you know, I, I see you in church. I just thought you'd just be... Going nuts in church. And I do sometimes. I said, well, I'm going to tell you. I told him that story. I said, ain't nothing compared to that since. Ain't nothing. Getting out of prison didn't excite me as much as knowing that I was still loved by God. I still had a chance. I could still make it. 
That same verse, Psalms 119, verse 67, the last little portion says, But now have I kept thy word. So you know what I said I'm going to do? I said, God, I know you still love me. I'm going to start reading my Bible. Here I am locked up. I was just in the parish jail at that time. Had all the time in the world. I think from that day I made that commitment for the first year, I think I read my Bible. In fact, I know. I read my Bible seven times. Seven times. I mean, I had all the time in the world. See, I wanted to put the word in my heart. And, and, and I learned something. You know, the Bible says, <clears throat> I think it's Isaiah 28 and 3. I, I can't quote it. But basically, you know, it's his word that's going to comfort us. It's his word that's going to comfort us in the middle of our afflictions. In the middle of our afflictions, it's his word that's going to comfort us. The Bible says, great peace have they that love thy law. There's nothing that compares to this word of God. And see, I didn't, I'm going to, I want to go back to this, let you know that God loves you. You know, I, I didn't understand, I never read the book of Hosea before. But when I read it, I realized, look at this. God told one of his prophets to marry a very unfaithful person and love her anyway. Love her anyway. And then you know what God said? That's just like my people. That's just like my people. I'm married to them, and they're unfaithful to me, but you know what? I love them anyway. I love them anyway. God loves you anyway. Well, just because you find forgiveness and just because you can pray back through to the Holy Ghost, just because you can do those things, sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. There was consequences to be paid for my actions. God didn't take that away from me. God knows what he's doing. When we sin, there's going to be consequences. He'll forgive you. And don't get me wrong, he can take the consequences away. Not saying, not saying he can't. All I'm telling you is, in my life he didn't. And I'm glad he didn't. I need to pay a price for what I did. I need to pay a price for what I did. Anyway, <clears throat> I get to go to a very famous place called Angola. Some of you may have heard of it. Spent a lot of time there. I could tell you a lot of bad things about Angola. It was. Angola's a bad place. You don't want to go there at all. There's drugs there. There's violence there. Some of the most crooked people there are the ones that work there. It's not a place anybody ever wants to go. I don't want to tell you none of those stories because that's not my story. I never had a fight in Angola. Never had any trouble in Angola. Never had any problems whatsoever. The Bible says, great peace have they that love thy law. It don't matter if you're in the belly of the well. Don't matter if you're in the middle of a state penitentiary. If, if you put this first... You're going to have peace. He'll, he'll make even your enemies be at peace with you. 
What I want to tell you about Angola is things about prison you never thought about. <clears throat> what I found in Angola was an apostolic church. That's right. What I found in Angola was an apostolic church. A church of men who believed just like we believe in one God. Believed in repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and getting full of the Holy Ghost. I didn't start the work there. It was already there when I got there. In fact, I, I get there and I'm in this cell. I was sharing this with Brother Samson. I'm in a cell when I first get there and stayed in, the, in, in a cell you know, for about five or six months. Wasn't able to get out of it wasn't, except to work. Wasn't able to go to church. Wasn't able to... You know, in a prison, you have church, you have libraries, you have a gym, you have things. But I, I didn't have access to that when I first got there. But anyway, I finally got in a dormitory environment. When I got in a dormitory environment, you know, you could go to church. You could go to the library. You could go to different... They had, we had prayer meetings on the yard. God's alive in a prison. God's doing things in prison. I'm going to tell you something. I remember... You know, the flu and sickness, that stuff goes around. And you can imagine when you live in, in, a, in a little cramped up environment. I mean, I had a bed, you know, right here. I could do my hand like that. I touched the other guy's bed. So I turned over this way and my hand touched the other guy's bed. So you're pretty close together. So, you know, sicknesses and disease would spread pretty rapidly. Anyway, I, I got sick and um, I went to church that night. And the pastor, our pastor was a... Another inmate just like me. Um, they called me up in, for the service for prayer, and I went and got prayed for. And I went back and sat down, and I felt just as bad after prayer as I did before prayer. God didn't heal me. God didn't touch me. Well, a preacher preached, preached a good message. We had good church. Before he dismissed our service, he said, Toby, I want you to come back up here. We're going to pray for you again. And I... I didn't have no faith. I, I did that time. I, said, I was just feeling bad. I wanted to go lay in my bed. Well, I, I was obedient. I just went on back up there, raised my hands. And those men prayed for me, and they felt the fever leave. They, see, God's alive even in prisons, what I'm trying to tell you. I know you might have not expect to hear this tonight, but God is alive and well. And I just, I just happened to get a hold of what he was already doing in there and joined in with him while I was there. Yeah. <clears throat> in prison, outside churches come in. Some of y'all may know that. Um, Brother Hitt's church came in. Different ones came in from time to time. But you can't just show up at the prison gate and say, oh, we're here to have church. It don't work like that. You have to get all these approvals. You have to send copies of driver's license. And this process takes two or three months to get a group of people approved to come in Angola prison. Well, our church, we had a once-a-month opportunity to invite outside churches in. And we would plan these things year, a year in advance, trying to get everybody approved. Well, the... Um, People in the, um, like the secretary's office or whatever you want to say, they would send us a little piece of paper. It was called a gate pass. And it would show the date and who was approved to come in. Well, it was Friday. And our service was on Monday. And we still 
hadn't got our gate back. So the, the, the men, we got in the yard, and they said, well, what are we going to do? I said, well, let's just pray. You know what? I better back this story up. I think I forgot one of the most important things. By this time, I was the pastor of the church. I was. I, I was the, the pastor we had went home, and, and I, I became pastor. But anyway, we hadn't received the permission for the church to come in. And so the men got with me and said, told me we need to call them. We need to let them know they can't come. And I said, let's pray about it first. So we went on the yard and we had a little prayer meeting. And after prayer, and a few other guys agreed with me, I said, you know what? We're just going to have faith and believe they're going to get in anyway. That's what we're going to do. Well, church came from Thibodeau called the House of Prayer. That was the name of their church, Pentecostal Church. They get to the gate, and there's no gate pass. The woman said, there's no, you, there is no gate pass. And when she said there's no gate pass, there just happened to be a certain man walking through. And he heard it. He said, um, what's going on here? And she said, well, these people came to have church, but there's no gate pass. He said, um, where y'all having, who y'all supposed to be having church with? Supposed to be going to the main prison, to the Pentecostal church? He said, well, y'all just come on with me. <laughs> so, see, it just so happened a man in authority was in the right place at the right time. And not only did he bring them on into the church, but because he did it, he had to stay with them. <laughs> he, he had to sit with them and watch over so he got to come to church too I had a certain job I told Brother Sampson you know what, what I did I, I basically just I, I packed this um, toolbox around for a guy he, he was in charge of all the keys every key in the prison was on a computer and he knew exactly where that key was at, who had the key, and what the key would open. And guess who was his clerk and did all that work? I did. I knew where every key was in the prison. I knew what would open what door and what would do what. It's amazing the levels of trust you can get in prison. Well, one day, this certain man, happened to be the same guy, he said, Toby, he saw me in the visiting room. He's a security guy. He said, Toby, you want another job? I said, no, I mean, I'm, I wanted to be faithful and to, you know, committed to what I was already doing. I said, no, I, you know, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to just leave this guy and come work for you. He said, you sure? You sure you don't want to come work for me? And it would be in the kitchen. You, ain't, you won't have to do much. Just do a little typing and stuff. And you want to pack this old toolbox no more? I said, no, I better not do that. I better stay where I'm at. <clears throat> a couple weeks later, the man I work for, he walks in our little office that morning. He says, Toby, you need to start packing up our stuff. I said, what you mean? He said, well, that man that asked you if you wanted another job, well, he's my boss. And now you got two jobs. Now you got two jobs. You're going to do what he asked you to do, and you're going to still do 
what I want you to do. Well, there's a point to this. I, um, I had a little office there with that cap. He had an office. And um, I would go in there in the mornings before he got to work. I'd make coffee. He usually get there at 6. I'd probably get there at 5 o'clock in the morning. You know, this prison, you still have to work. You, know, you leave your dorm, you go to work. Anyway, so I'm there every morning. I'd make the coffee. I had my Bible there on my desk, and I'd read my Bible every morning. And when he come in, I shut my Bible, and we'd get to work. That's what you're supposed to do at work. You're supposed to work. But anyway, so he would see this. And after about a couple weeks, a friend of mine who also went to church with me, he, he worked in the kitchen, and he was in the back. I wish I had a hammer. He had a hammer, and he was cracking pecans. Crack, crack with a hammer. And so when the captain walked in, he said, he heard the pecans cracking. My friend's name was Freddie, and he knew that's who it was. He said, that's Freddie. That's you back there cracking pecans? Yeah, that's me. Freddie just kept cracking pecans. Crack, crack, crack. And the captain said, Toby, don't y'all go to a Pentecostal church? That's you know, what I went to. I said, yeah, that's right. You know that. So let me tell you something. I, I, I want to I I ask you a question. He said, you know, I'm not very religious. I, <clears throat> my wife is very devout. My wife, she goes to Baptist church, and I go with her from time to time. But, I mean, she's a praying woman, and, you know, she, she really loves God. Well, they told her she couldn't come back to the Baptist church. So she, she told them in church she'd been praying, and she started speaking in tongues. She started having a, a, something happening. She, she read about it in the Bible, so she knew it was real. And so he began to ask me about what was going on. See, God works in prison, too. There's a lot more to that story, but all I want to tell you is it doesn't matter how bad your life gets messed up. God can still use you right where you're at. Another verse, I don't know how much, how much time I'm taking. I, mean, I don't even know. It don't matter? Okay, okay. Another verse says, I think it's verse 71. Psalms 119 verse 71 says, it is good for me that I've been afflicted. I mean, how many of us are so excited? And let me, let me say something right here. Um, my afflictions and my little sufferings and the things I went through in prison, okay, that really pales in comparison to what the guy on the other end of this. There was a man that died in this situation. So I, I don't want to ever make you think, I, you know, I was, don't feel sorry for Toby. Because I, I, I really didn't suffer. God was with me. I just wanted to say that right there. But anyway, it, it was good for me that I've been afflicted. Well, what in the world's good about going to prison? What in the world's good about all that? And what in the world's good about the problems you have in the day? I mean, what is good about it? In our, in our own way of thinking, there's nothing good about it. But you know... You know why it was good for me that I've been afflicted? You know what it says, the next line? That I might learn thy statutes. See, when, when we go through something, when God puts us in situations and, and, and our life seems to be just falling apart, we'll really dig in a little more. We'll really dig in just a little more. So don't, don't, don't think because you're going through something, you know, don't think because things are chaotic in your life that it's not a good situation. Because God said, it's good for me that I've been afflicted. 
So if God said it's good, it's got to be good. I told Brother Sampson this, and he still let me preach. So I can tell y'all too. While I was in prison, I graduated from the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. I got a bachelor's degree in Christian ministry. He asked me, he said, well, are you Bapticostal now? I said, no, I'm not Bapticostal. But I did learn a lot of things. I did, I did learn a lot. I, I want to, I have to share this story because I shared it with you. Um, and don't wrong, I have a lot of people because I went to that school. I, I have some Baptist friends, I do. And um, one day in class, we had a discussion about legalism. And you know, me being Pentecostal, I'll be honest, us, us Pentecostals, we get, we get accused of that a lot. Well, here's what I learned in the Baptist Theological Seminary. That according to their doctrine and their theology, you do not have to be baptized to be saved. But you have to be baptized to be a Baptist. So when that come up, I just had to ask, that ain't legalism? <laughs> you're, you're saying I'm legalistic? See, sometimes it's pot calling the kettle black. See, there ain't nothing we don't do. That we, everything we do is necessary. Everything we do is because we want to make it to heaven. I, I, I don't want to do anything just because I call myself Pentecostal. I want to do it because it, it pleases God. Amen. Now, I still be honest with you, a lot of good things would happen in my life. And, you know, this, this little event happened before I became the pastor, so I skipped around a little bit. But I, I was still struggling, even though I, I was a part of the church, a part of doing what God wanted me to do, I was still struggling with forgiving myself. I was. It, it was he, the devil was beating me up with it. I didn't, I didn't know the word, didn't understand everything I needed to understand. I was still reading, still learning, because... In my mind, the devil was still, man, you ain't going to go to heaven. But why are you doing all this stuff? You ain't going to make it. Look what you did. And he would still beat me up with it. And I'm going to tell you when he stopped beating me up with it. When I got the revelation out this word from God about the blood. See, it's all about the blood. It, it, you either red or you ain't red. It's just that simple. Either you have the blood applied to your life or you don't. There is no gray areas. There's no in between. It doesn't matter what you've done in life. The blood will cover it. The blood will forgive you. The blood will get you to heaven. And there ain't but one way to get that blood applied to your life. You got to repent. You got to get baptized in Jesus' name. And when that blood gets on you, you get the Holy Ghost and you start speaking in tongues. That's how you know. 
Now, I read this, this scripture in the beginning because it's, it's also a part of my testimony. Because I did get the Holy Ghost. I did backslide. And I believe I was given another opportunity. I just want to bring out this one word. It says he wanted to dung it. Sometimes, sometimes God has to take everything out from around us. What they did with that tree, they dug all the dirt out from around it. All the things I was comfortable with, all the things I was used to, the people I was used to being around, church I was a part of, you know, but when I got the Holy Ghost, everything that I knew that was comfortable, God took that away from me. You know, you're in prison, you don't get to see your family that often. My, my family, my daddy and my mama, they visited me for 28 years, seven months and five days. They never stopped. I, I, I was a unique individual in that, because that don't happen a lot. But anyway, God, God had to take everything out from around me. And I, no, notice what he replaced it with, stinking fertilizer. Sometimes your situation stinks. Sometimes it really stinks. But that which stinks in your life, that's what's going to make you bear fruit. That's what's going to make you bear fruit. God wants to do something in our life. God wants to do something in our life, and he's got to dig out that stuff we're comfortable in. He's got to make things a little different for us. He's got to make things stink just a little bit so we can bear some fruit. Because God comes, and he's looking for fruit. When he comes looking, he's looking for fruit. I got something else I want to share. I shared this story today with you, and I'm going to share it again. Um, I saw God move in, in Angola in another way. I saw a church that called themselves the Methodist Church. Now, y'all know Methodists. And these were Methodist people. They, they taught a Methodist um, doctrine. Well, just so happened, one of the churches that came to visit our church, they sent a, a, a black preacher from Baton Rouge to come to our church. He came about once a week, on, sometimes on Sundays, sometimes on Thursdays. He would come and he developed a friendship with the pastor of the Methodist church. The pastor of the Methodist church worked in the library. Well, every day after our service, he would go to the library and he would begin to talk about the Bible and about Jesus' name, baptism, and about these things with the Methodist pastor. It probably wasn't six months later that the Methodist church decided to start baptizing people in Jesus' name. First person they baptized in Jesus' name come up speaking in tongues. See, God, God will do a work. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they called herself on that shingle outside. 
God will work a work. And I seen him. In fact, when I left Angola, in fact, I need to talk about that too because I did leave, obviously. I'm here. Well, you know, but before I say that, you know, crime I committed or the, the situation you're in, David and Bathsheba, when you think of them, Peter's denial, you think of that cock crowing. I don't have Snapchat, but my nephews do. It's a thing out there. I, I don't know much about technology, but I, I asked them one day, I said, what is that? They said, you'll just take pictures and that's how you share information. Well, you see, the devil took a picture of me when I got arrested. The devil took a picture of David and Bathsheba when they committed a sin. The devil took a picture when that crop, when, when, when roosters was crowing. The devil took a picture when Jesus was hanging on the cross. In all those situations, he thought he had won. In all those situations, he was taking pictures because he was celebrating. But you see, that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. It, none of those stories ended right there. David and Bathsheba, their second son was Solomon. What a picture of grace. Peter went on to preach the first message. And we know Jesus didn't stay on the cross. <laughs> we know that. He didn't stay on the cross. <laughs> and I didn't stay in prison. Tell you how that happened. Just so happened... There was a guy that worked on um, four-wheelers and jet skis and those type of things for the warden. Not an underling, but the main guy. He always had a guy that helped him. That guy got in trouble. And I, he, he called me one day. And I, I know I keep saying calling. We didn't have phones, but where we worked, in their offices, there were phones. Or our boss had phones. And so we would communicate like that. And anyway, so he got a hold of me and asked me if I'd like to have that job helping him working on the warden's four-wheelers and the warden's jet skis and the warden's tractors. Thought about it, prayed about it, and I said, yes, I'll do that. So I took that job. I started working there September 1st of 2007. Got to know the warden, got to know the man in charge on... Um, December 1st, I may have the date not exactly right, but I know it was the very first of December. I'm in church, and um, I went to church in what they call the main prison. And church was over on Sunday, and I had to come back. I had a day to call for me. I was a trustee at this time. So there was a lot of freedom for people who were trustees. I could move around the prison. I guess I should, I'm chasing rabbits all over the place, but you know what? Even in prison, when you're obedient, it opens up for you. Who was it that says the perfect law of liberty? That's an oxymoron. How can you have something binding and restricting that gives you freedom? Well, when you follow the rules, things expand. 
Anyway. So anyway, I get ready to leave church. I went to the little security office thing. I, I called for my ride so I could go back to where I lived. And they would send a patrol unit out to pick you up. Well, I'm sitting there. And some of the, a couple of security guys come walking through and said, you Toby Guthrie? I said, yeah, that's me. Come on, hurry up. So they took me through the gates real quick. I said, stand right here. And here come a black suburban. He, and that was the warden. He pulled right up on the sidewalk. And so he said, he come to get you. I said, okay. So I went to get in the back, and the warden rode out the window and said, no, get in the front. So I got in the front with him because his kids was in the back. So we went, he said, let's go for a ride. I said, all right. He said, look, you've been working for me for about three months, and I've got to know you just a little bit. And I'll be honest with you. You sure don't seem like the type of guy that ought to be in prison. And you know what? I want to help you get out. He said, but I only know one way to help you get out. He said, this is, this is all I got. He told me this is all I got. But he said, I'll help you. He said, I want to get you a job at the governor's mansion. And he said, the only way I know how to get you a job at the governor's mansion is you got to be a cook. He said, can you cook? I said, well, I can cook five things. I know that. <laughs> I, can, I can make about five things. He said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put you working in my house with some other guys who cook for me. And you're going to learn how to cook. And when I think you know how to cook, we're going to get you sent to the governor's man. That's what we're going to do. He said, I want to help you. So, true to his word, that was December 1st. March 17th, just a few months later, shipped me off. Did I learn how to cook in three months? I was studying. I was reading every cookbook I could. I was doing everything I could. Because even though I believe God was blessing me, I still need to do my part. If God, if God sends you a man and says, look, I want to help you be a millionaire. Can you build a boat? You might want to go learn how to build a boat. <laughs> and and don't, don't say God don't want to help you. But I had to do my part. Anyway, so I think it was actually May. May, May 10th, I started working at the governor's mansion. Like I said in March. May, May 10th, I started working at the governor's mansion. I worked for two governors. Um, Governor Bobby Jindal, I was a cook for him. Cooked all kinds of stuff. Um, he didn't let me go home. So I worked for him for almost eight years. When he left, I was still there. God, what's going on? I know you just didn't bring me here because I knew God had brought me there. I said, God, you didn't just bring me here to leave me here. But you know, God does work immediately when he works. But sometimes it takes him a while to get to that immediately point. In the upper room, they prayed for a while before it happened immediately. So, Governor John Bell Edwards became governor. I moved. I stopped being a cook, started being a baker. So, not all bakers are bad. They don't all get their heads cut off. I became the baker for John Bell Edwards. And a lot of good things began to happen. You know, he, I, I don't, I'll be honest with you, obviously somebody asked me, do you like him? I said, of course I like him. He let me out of prison. But now, politics don't necessarily agree with all that, but I do like him. 
he, um, he gave me a pardon. And just like that warden said, he, he, he was true to his word. He sent me to work at the governor's mansion. I worked at the governor's mansion for 13 years. And after 13 years, I got a pardon. And I was able to get out. Now, I didn't get, now I didn't get a pardon where I was just Scots free. They didn't, they didn't wipe my record clean. They didn't do any of that. Because you know why? Because I, I was guilty. I, I, I did what I did. In fact, I pled guilty to what I did. I admitted and confessed to what I did. They didn't convict me in a court. I knew what I did. I, 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 it was eating me up. Skip this, but my first night in jail, slept better than I had in six weeks. See, when you do wrong, it just eats on you. And it will. It's like a cancer. It's like a cancer. It'll eat on you. It'll eat on you. So that was a good testimony, I reckon. <laughs> but obviously there's a point to it. There's a reason I wanted to share it with you. Okay? No matter where you find yourself, God's there. No matter where you find yourself, he's there. Don't ever forget that. He's there. Now, I, I, don't, I don't ever want you to find yourself where Toby was. I don't ever want you to do anything like that. I don't. But there's people under the sound of my voice that may not be here next year when I come back. Maybe because you're not praying like you need to pray. Maybe because you're not reading the Word like you read the Word. I mean, we all need to come to church and shout and run. We do. It really makes us feel good. But what's going to keep you? What's going to keep you? Is get this in your heart. Get you, get you a prayer life. A prayer life where you, 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 don't, you don't need everybody else praying to get you excited. A prayer life where you can get down on your bed or on your knees or wherever it is you get in your closet and you can get excited all by yourself. That's what will keep you. That's what will keep you. Because, you know, I was a part of a church in prison and churches are just churches. There's always going to be problems. You know why? Because we in it. And we got problems. We got problems. So everybody's not always going to do exactly what you think they ought to do. That's why you got to get a hold of God for yourself. That's why you got to touch him for yourself. And don't ever let my testimony become your testimony. Ever. Ever. Another thing I want to tell you, God loves you. Don't ever think he don't love you. Because I was at a point where I thought he didn't love me anymore. No matter what you've done in your life, God loves you. I, I, don't, I don't care, even, even adults, where you've been, what you've done, God loves you. God can use you. You might be sitting there thinking, man, God can't use me. He don't even want me. I'm just a drug addict. I'm just a, just a thug. 
No. God want to use you too. <laughs> Trust me. He does. Can we just give him an opportunity to use us? Right here. Right now. Because he wants to. He loves you, young people. He loves you. And I love y'all too. Y'all have made me feel welcome. Y'all have made me feel like I'm at home. And here I am. I mean, they put me in their house. They put me in their house. There's plenty of people that wouldn't want me in their house. Guess who else wants you in their house? He come and died on the cross. Come and died on the cross and shed his blood so you could come to his house. Because guess what he said? Ain't nobody worthy to come to my house. I looked out. I didn't find nobody fit to come to my house. So you know what I got to do? I gotta, I'm going to come to earth myself. I'm going to robe myself in flesh, shed this blood, and I'm going to put this blood on these people. Then I'm going to let them in my house. God wants you in his house. He loves you, and I love you. I love y'all.